I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse, a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that can make us all be encouraged, want to hear what makes these women passionate and get up in the morning or what they wish that they'd known earlier in life. Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. special guest. I have Tracy Weaver, and she is an educator. She kind of um, helps women in childbirth and just kind of expanding their knowledge and being there right along their side to help. So we'll dive in and meet Tracy. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Amy. It is so good to see you today. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. So how would you describe yourself? Uh, you know what? That's a loaded question, Amy. You know, I, I have a really hard time when people ask me to describe myself. Um, but through the years, um, I have really just really dove into the passions that I really feel like God has given me um, in the childbirth world. Um, I found out very early on in having my two older kids that you know locally we are um really low in good childbirth education and you know just meaning that um you know evidence is just not out there for parents to make really good informed decisions and i saw that having my own kids so just moving forward trying to figure out you know what this desire was you know in my heart to educate um overflowed into the childbirth world and just exploded from there and when i say exploded it 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 really did wow so this is a new concept for moms and how do you how do how do women connect with you well you know I, I think it's a newer concept because childbirth education has just kind of been um, mainstream. You know, we get pregnant, we feel like the, you know, the system or, you know, wherever we choose to give birth is going to educate us. Um, and sometimes there can be some pieces that fall through the cracks with that. Um, you know, so when I was diving in, I just really wanted to focus on um, what the system was not bringing, and that was just really good evidence-based information. Evidence meaning, you know, what does the science say about the things that are getting ready to happen to you, and what is the difference between evidence-based information and policies that the hospital has? Um, so when somebody, you know, is looking further into uh, digging deeper into what I call it out uh, out of the box hospital thinking not necessarily home birth but maybe um, not what I call falling into the system um, you know either they can google or they ask their care provider or um, you know ask friends hey you know what have you done to educate yourselves um, beyond just you know taking the hospital classes and and they'll find me <laughs> um, I've been doing this for you know about 20 years here um, you know started when the kids were younger um, of course we homeschooled so you know on top of raising kids and homeschooling you know there was extra time um, and then when the internet came around I had no idea that the desires of my heart was actually a profession um, so on top of wanting to educate um, the community better I wanted to you just serve women in labor and I didn't know that that was an actual thing yeah. um, and that's called a doula which a lot of people you know don't know that term but a doula is a professional labor assistant that goes through the educational process prenatally um, and will be by your side through the whole labor process. It doesn't mean that you have to go without an epidural. That's my the first question right. that I'm is asked. This gonna be pain free? Is this going to be pain free? Um, no. Um, hiring a doula just means that you want the extra information, extra support, um, and help through the journey process. 
So do you work hand in hand with the medical team? Um, I privately am um, hired by the family, but yes, I work um, in building the teams. So what, and each doula is very different. So when okay. you ask somebody else what they do, right. it's going yeah. to be different. Takes on personality. Uh, absolutely. Um, but yes, my major goal is to um, help my client find the best provider that fits what they need. Um, and sometimes that's difficult depending on insurances or things like that. Um, but, you know, throughout the years, um, just building the team means, um, you know, for the client to build a really good medical relationship between them and their care provider. And sometimes they don't know the questions to ask or how to, you know, have a conversation with their care provider. Um, I'm seeing light bulbs go off like, oh, I didn't know I could do that or, oh, I didn't know I could I could ask that. Um, which has been really cool for both sides because providers want to know what, you know, their patients want. And I think throughout the years we have felt like we couldn't ask questions because we felt kind of stupid, yeah. you know, or, or I should know this. Yeah. I should know this as a third time mom, you know, or a third time pregnant person. So just facilitating a lot of conversation and everybody getting on the same page um, with understanding what's going to happen, expectations, and, and nobody going into labor fearful of not knowing what's going to happen to them. So is there a certain amount of liability you take on? Um, no. I mean, you know, I don't do anything medical. Mine is just educational and support. So, you know, the only um, relationship is between me and my client and they know, you know, that I don't have any, um, I don't have anything to do with the outcome of their birth. All I'm doing is supporting them and helping them through the journey to get the education they need to make the good informed decisions. Yeah. So does this go kind of hand in hand with prenatal classes, kind of? the same school of thought but maybe a little deeper yeah very very much deeper yes um you know when somebody is mine <laughs> um and i call them you know and the maternal instincts family um yes my goal is to help meet their need and that's going to be different for everyone that comes to me right. you know that's going to that's going to mean you know hey do you want to achieve the vaginal birth after cesarean or do you just want to survive through labor, you know? Or do you just need some extra um, support, you know, emotionally? Maybe this is a, a baby um, after a loss of, of a child. So there's more emotional stuff that goes with that. So the need I focus on um, very much. So yes, um, building relationships through the prenatal um, time is very important to me. Um. I have 50 million questions and I'm trying to figure out which one to throw out there first. Um, so the, do you find when you're working with a mom, you're actually working with the father oh, oh, as definitely, well? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. And dad's, um, you know, dad's partners, they, they, uh, sometimes are very overwhelmed and don't know that I'm going to, um, get them as involved as, as they need to be. Um, and some dads are all on board and, and can't wait for me to, um, you know, integrate them into, to what they need too, because partners are very, very important into what they bring to the birth room. So yes, it's not just me um, building relationship with mom. It's absolutely getting dad in his place, answering his questions, making sure he's the most comfortable possible and how he needs to support the, the one he loves the most. And you begin this process at about what point? Whenever they contact me. You so know, do you find them more along midway or? Um, no, uh, throughout the years, it has been very different. The, uh, I think a benefit would be, yeah, if you, if you hired a doula or if you found me, it needs to be early. Now, as of present and maybe in the past, you know, four or five years, I book up very quickly. I book up about um, nine months in advance. Um, 
you know, just because I, I've, I've been doing this a, a long time, so people are waiting, and I even have people that are waiting um, that are trying to conceive to let me know, hey, I'm getting ready to have a baby. So, I mean, I'm get, I'm, we're trying, so um, safe space for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But yeah, the benefit of, you know, getting involved um, with somebody that's going to help you through it, the earlier, the better, the earlier, the better. But if somebody, you know, gets through their pregnancy, something hits them, their pregnancy becomes higher risk and they need more support or education, you know, then yeah, you know, contact me. And, And it's not about me being hired as a doula. It's me getting them the information they need as far as you know, whatever I can provide for them on the education level too. Um, so, you know, I do do a, f- a free 30 minute consult for anyone who just needs to, to talk about what direction they need to take as far as, you know, a situation that they're dealing with. Oh, wow. And then post baby, you still work with mom and you work with nursing moms or mm-hmm. Abs- whatever kind of situations they have. Talk to me about how that works. Absolutely. So um, up to now, um, honestly, I have, you know, focused on the birth, focus on on prenatal. Now, early in my work, I certified as a post um, a postpartum doula in the beginning. So I started there. Um, but presently, I, I feel like if we can provide really good um, prenatal education into the postpartum period is not as hard. But yes, I um, hope to provide all the information that they need for a good beginning. Um, now, yes, I will give um, breastfeeding support, but I will tell anyone, my strengths are not with breastfeeding, not with postpartum care. My expertise and my strengths are with the birth process and with the planning for the birth. So I will resource some of that out, but definitely prepare them for what to expect, the basic kind of knowledge. These are the classes that you need to take. But like I said, presently, my my business is really switching to training doulas all over the country. I am traveling, um, going to Nebraska next week, actually, um, and doing... an advanced doula workshop that I created for um, strength and advocacy on the on the doula level. So I am um, currently working alongside a doula, and we are um, actually going to um, collaborate and care for clients um, coming up pretty soon. And this is probably the first time that I have mentioned it publicly, honestly. Um, because I don't have those strengths and I don't want families to slip through the cracks as far as what I can't provide for them. Um, and I'm getting busier with the, the national stuff that I am doing and I don't want to leave my local community behind. So me and this other doula and I'm, I'm going to protect her identity for just a second because I didn't ask if I could talk about her. Um, but we are going to come together and we are absolutely going to provide, um, you know, those who want to join, you know, with both of us. And she is outstanding in postpartum care and, you know, the things that I know that I can't do. And God is just real gracious because I prayed for her. I prayed for somebody that could just, you know, work with me um, with how big my business is becoming um, and, it has seemed to just really fall into place, which is really super exciting. That's great. You lead me straight into training. I mean, all right, you were homeschooling. You had four mm-hmm. yeah. um, that you were educating. That, that's busy. Um, they were all athletic. That's busy. So you found time to find your education process in this. What is the education process? Okay. And you don't go to college and say, okay, I'm going to, sign it up for doula classes, classes like an RN or something. So yeah. what's the process? Yeah. How do you, how do you go about it? Um, well, doulas are not nationally regulated. Um, we are not, we don't have, um, anything that we have to, you know, say that we have to have, nobody has to be certified to, you know, sit with a family through labor or anything like that. But we all know that education is a big deal. And if you want to go deeper into this work, you need to know the logistics of what's going 
going on and how to um, and how to really um, educate and um, work with the family um, so that they can get the best birth outcome. So, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, what are the things that I need to do to become a doula? Um, I always offer them um, several links, and I did write, write a blog post about it on, on my website, maternalinstinctsdoula.net, that goes through the steps. And like I said, you, you don't have to just, you know, you don't have to dive into certification to serve families, but if you want to go on a deeper level, I absolutely encourage it. But there are doula organizations that will um, provide basic education for doula services, um, and there are many of them. There are, wow, I can't even tell you how many that I, I think that there are. So I listed several of the organizations in that blog post, but you know what I tell newer doulas, um, or even the way that I, of, of course, back when I certified at the very beginning, there, there was only a couple of organizations, but now there has sprung up so, so many. And I tell newer doulas and even my mentees um, that if you are looking into diving deeper into um, a doula profession, look for a doula organization that you fit best with in birth philosophy. Um, you know, we all come with different perspectives from birth, and that will matter in who you certify with. Um, so, you know, go to what they're about, go to how they train, and, and then look at, you know, what you can do now ask the questions um, do you have children you know that are young enough and does it make sense for you to get up in the middle of the night and go help somebody else when you have smaller children at home do you have the support for that um, so you know as glamorous as you know being a doula or helping families might sound it is very hard work um, it is not something that is easy at all whatsoever there are not predictable it's very unpredictable very unpredictable so you know yes you know looking at the certifications and what that means to you is is the very first thing and some of them have timelines and some of them don't but that's going to give you the basic foundation of you know the physiological parts of birth and then you know what um a dual the basic part of doula services well, throughout the years, I found that there are some, um, you know, pieces that we are missing from that, and that's why I developed the the advanced doula workshop, you know, as far as you know, communicating with the team and building the team better, and you know, just some things that um, the doula organizations are not, you know, pinpointing or being strong on. So, um, which has been, you know, a, a really great journey for me. Um, but you know, just asking yourself too what um you know am i in the time of life to do this because you know amy me and you both know that raising children and having kids at home we can all get really bogged down with man i wish that my kids were older so i could do something um and it, it wasn't I was very um, thankful for the internet and for being able to do a lot of schooling online. Um, you know, I did take a couple of um, trainings later, but we have to keep in mind that we're in seasons of things right. too. And if it doesn't make sense, it'll it might make sense later. So, did you have to go back and um, do more of what you may not have done in college of the? biology and the anatomy and those no, kind of things or? no we no. um we are non-medical so we are focused on the support part of labor now you do dive deep in, and it depends on who you certify with so you do dive deep in the people that i certified with childbirth um, international we dive very deep into birth anatomy how it works because just having children and then there are doulas who don't have children. You know, sometimes we miss those kind of things and don't really know what's going on in birth, especially if it's a spontaneous birth. What does physiological normal birth look like? Right. Because if you're in a high induction C-section culture, um, which in Montgomery we are, um, you might not know even what normal 
birth looks like. Um, so, you know, you dive into the basic parts of birth kind of like that. Um, and then continuing education is a very, uh, um, I encourage it. You know, not all certification organizations have a, a, a continuing education program. But I also went on to certify as a, or, or not certify, became a evidence-based birth instructor. Um, evidence-based birth is a national organization, actually worldwide organization, um, that focuses on the evidence in maternal um, uh, issues um, or topics, such as you know big babies or vitamin K or um, you know some of the things that we hear when we're when we're pregnant. So when Rebecca Decker, the founder of Evidence-Based Birth, um, she came up with the, she created the um, instructor program, I said, me, 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 because all, all I was seeing was we can educate we, and we can educate, but I kept going back to the foundation of, no, parents need to know the science or the evidence behind the decisions that they're making. Um, so went through that program. I actually uh, renewed my my instructor status um, for the third year and have just loved, loved, loved that program. And I also teach an evidence-based birth childbirth class, which has been just phenomenal um, because it's for everyone. It's not for people who want to take and, you know, that want to do natural childbirth. It's just a very comprehensive overall look at childbirth and all the decisions you need to make, all the comfort measures if you want them, all the information on induction, um, pharmaceutical comfort measures, um, you know, and then the advocacy part of what parents need to know about their rights in childbirth. Wow. So just listening, it seems like to me that it'd be a great collaboration with the hospitals. Is that something that you cross into? Um, now, I have, you know, people that will recommend the class, but no, I am not interested in working with a hospital um, because, um, well, you know, nobody has really come to me and asked either. Um, but and, but there are there are instructors. You know, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. There are instructors in the um, evidence-based birth childbirth um, program that have been trained to do the the class that do work in hospitals. They're nurses. They're midwives. There are even some providers. Um, but as a doula, being my major goal is to be hired by the family. Okay. Mm -hmm. so it's from the direction that the help comes right. that builds the relationship. Right, right. Well, let me back up, uh, and you may not be able to answer this, but you just you said earlier something about we're in a very high-induced um, and cesarean area. I, I didn't know that places got divided up like that. So why are we in the, in the area we live in? And is it more prevalent across the country, or what do you Nationwide, we're about 32% cesarean rate. Um, locally, we're about 34%. Um, and why, I, I'm not the one that you need to ask for that. Yeah. Um, so birth culture and through the years and, and the people that I have, you know, the people that I have worked with and what I have seen in being here um, in, in Alabama is we are, we are in a um, highly medicalized birth atmosphere, meaning they manage birth highly. Um, I, I listen and I hear families talk about falling into the system and they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know the questions to ask. They didn't know that they could refuse an induction. They didn't know why they were being induced. And then I have had families tell me they didn't know why they had had cesareans. So I'm not really the, the person to, to ask because I'm on the consumer side. Right. Um, but, you know, when I have people hire me for a vaginal birth after a cesarean um, and I listen to the reasons why they had the first cesarean um, you know I'm hearing 
you know, baby just didn't move down, um, or this is how many hours I was in labor and they didn't think that baby was going to come down any further. You know, it, it was, I, I'm not hearing emergency situations. Yeah. I'm not hearing high emergency situations. <clears throat> so, um, I don't know, except for my theory is, is we're just in a birth culture where it's just really routine, routine practices and very traditional practices. So other parts of the country are less traditional? Um, In the, in the, yes, in the West Coast, definitely. Um, They are more progressive in that they have lower section rates. Now, I I will say it's kind of spotty. You know, it's going to depend. I'm trying to listen a lot more on the national level and who does what where. And you can have a hospital down the street that is doing, you know, that has a really low cesarean rate with a uh, a higher VBAC rate, a higher vaginal yeah. birth after cesarean rate. And then the next one down the street has a higher cesarean rate. So studies show too that your hospital setting, the nurses that take care of you are, are going to kind of come into that equation too because the doctor comes in right at the very end um, most times so if you're looking at statistics on hey this hospital has a high cesarean rate um, you might want to think about why ask a whole bunch of questions is it hospital policy do they have policies to where you know if it comes up on a certain amount of time do we have to do something that's the route they go Mm mm-hmm uh, I ended up with a, a cesarean with Isaac, and it was because two weeks past due, he flipped, went the other way, and so our doctor was not comfortable in making the manipulation to, to move, so he didn't. And then when Becca came along, we had the discussion because I didn't want to go cesarean, and, um, and he said, oh, we can turn it, and I'm like, well, wait. wait. Three years ago, you didn't want to do this. And he goes, oh, but I have a partner now who's so good at it. Right. And I think sometimes that it's the comfort of the doctor. It is. As well. Absolutely. And you want them to be comfortable. Absolutely. Amy, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, it is absolutely the comfort level of a, of a doctor and the skill level of a doctor. And we have to recognize that and respect that. Um, you know, and I'm so glad that you said that because... You know, breech birth is just a variation of normal. Uh, women have, you know, breech deliveries all the time if they're comfortable with that. But you absolutely have to have a doctor that is skilled enough to do that. And that's what we're seeing across the country is universities are not teaching doctors how to do breech births. So they're automatically, they're automatic um, cesareans. But the version also, you know, there are doctors who are not confident in their skill level with, you know, doing, um, doing a, a, a version. You know, so that's why I go back to evidence. And that's why I am so thankful for evidence-based birth. Because what Rebecca Decker has done, she's a nurse with her PhD. Let me give you a tiny bit of a background on, on her. She was a nurse that you know was giving birth to babies and didn't understand the things that were happening to her and she went home and you know was finding out through research that the majority of the things that happened to her in the hospital system were not evidence-based and did not need to happen um and and so she you know went forward created evidence-based birth just wrote a book called um babies are not pizzas that if anybody is interested in in you know reading about um her story and you know going through the system and the book opens our eyes to what is happening and what needs to happen excellent book um find it on amazon so Anyway, that being said, I don't think people realize, and it sounds like, you know, you have processed it correctly to where you knew it was his comfort level because you went again and said, I don't want another cesarean. How can we go about doing this? But peop- but there are families who don't know that they can have that um, attitude. Yeah. They just think, you know, that doctor is going to tell me I have to have a repeat section and then they do have a repeat cesarean. But then there's a lot of risk that comes with each cesarean that comes with the pregnancies after. Yeah. Um, 
you know so and then you connected it well wait a minute three years ago why wasn't this why wasn't this a thing and now he had a partner so I think we have to understand that on a wider scale on a deeper level um, and that's what I do in my childbirth class is is these are the facts that you need to know and you know, if you're saying that your your doctor is telling you that you're having a big baby and you need to be induced because you're having a big baby, well, these are the stats and statistics and evidence on big babies and the inaccuracy of late ultrasounds. How do you feel about it? With this information in front of you, how do you feel about going forward with this new information that you have? Because we all have a, a belief system. You know, you, you knew that you didn't want another cesarean. So we have to remember our belief systems are important. And I, I'm, I'm watching families come out of doctor's appointments confused and cloudy headed and feeling like they don't know where to go because they don't feel like they have any say. And I, I, hate, I hate seeing that. Well, that kind of leads me down this path uh, of being a questioner. And, and it appears that that might be part of your personality. So go back to homeschooling and, and what you wanted to give your kids and that exploring and, and just kind of digging deeper. Is that part of your philosophy and has it always been? Yeah. I mean, I, I always, with everything, go back to the foundation of why something is happening. And remember that, that we have a perspective and God created you a, a very special certain way. So your thoughts and your beliefs are meaningful. Um, and when we are having conversation with other people, we need to realize that, that they're coming from another perspective that, you know, we can all work together and compromise with those perspectives and not um, always fight and argue and have to be right. So with the kids and, and them um, being at home, and um, you know homeschooling, I that I did want that for them. You know, I didn't want them to fit into a box of these are the things you have to learn in in fifth through you know sixth grade or seventh through ninth or ninth through twelfth. I wanted them to um, get the basics. Yeah, that's that's very important. But I didn't want them to have to take algebra if that's not what their minds were were geared towards. Um, and homeschooling provided them, I think, the freedom to really think about what they wanted to do or what God was creating them to do. Um, and then we, uh, you know, just prayed for the avenue, avenues to open up for them to go down those roads. You know, as society, we put ourselves in these kind of blocks. When you turn 16, you have to get a license. When you graduate high school, you have to go to college. And, and what is that doing to a kid who might not need to go to college? You know, they might need to just, you know, go to a trade school or do something online or, um, you know, work, you know, not going to school at all and focusing on just being an adult in, in their own world is okay. Um, so yeah, questioning the foundation of things and finding your own belief system and going from there, I think is powerful really for anyone. Um, I, I developed, I recently developed a concept for childbirth, um, but it really applies to everyone. It's called keeping your power. And I think we forget um, in our insecurities of being people, especially women, um, that I'm supposed to be doing it like somebody else. Like, wow, they have a really cool life. How can I get there? When we forget that the place that we're at and being present is just as important and the grass is not always greener. Um, our passions are very important, but there's a time for those. Um, and I probably got off a, a little bit of topic there, no, but you know, but the concept of, you know, of keeping your power is just remembering that you are important and how God created you is important, but then having the perspective of understanding where somebody else is coming from when we are having conversations and encouraging other people. So when you're talking about keeping your power, developing that, um, 
is this a system that you're putting in place to train? Or yes, yes, and I'm already, mm-hmm, I'm already doing that. Um, so keeping your power as far as in the uh, doula world is in my, um, in the advanced doula workshop. And when you take the workshop, I will um, train you to understand, of course, your power to begin with as a doula and that and the workshop builds on itself. Um, you know how important a doula is and we go through different things um, team building and um, boundaries and um, identifying biases and, and all kinds of th- we do all kinds of things that day and then I teach you keeping your power and then I teach you how to teach it to your clients so that they can go forward in in um, you know in the in their confidence down the road um, and, you know, without like spilling the beans and giving the entire concept, the, the basis of it is um, just being mindful of um, keeping perspective and keeping your confidence and, and remembering that, that you are important. Um, and, and when I talk about it, none of this, and I have a really hard time talking about myself, <laughs> It's not coming from a prideful place. It's coming from an actual place of, of, of a, you know, understanding and, and recognizing that God made us all really special. Um, and we all have something to bring to the table because we're here. Right. So in the moment as well. In the moment as well. You mentioned um, identifying bias. You know, we talk about all that goes on in the world these days um, and and yet we're coming into this with our thoughts experiences which of course automatically puts a bias um, of my way my thought might be better right how do you identify bias and does this apply across the board do you see it in kids I mean what absolutely where, absolutely. where are you on, mm-hmm. on that and how to identify yeah I mean I, I think, you know, and of course, I'm, I'm teaching it in, in the advanced doula workshop, um, for sure. But I mean, we all come to the table with our experiences, you know, whether they're good or crisis, or I mean, we're, we're going to grow, um, you know, through the times and experiences that we have. And, you know, I think what we need to, um, to stop and think about, you know, especially especially the the mindfulness of of hey Amy's coming to me you know talking about something with with all of Amy's stuff and and everything that she's created to to know and to be um and if I hear something that is contradictory to what my belief is it is still okay (laughs) um but a, a bias, when we talk about, you know, a, a bias, that can be a negative thing when we're going forward to serve somebody. Um, because we're all going to have our perspective. We're all going to have our strong beliefs. But if I am talking to somebody as a server, then I have to put those aside um, and be objective in the moment and um, help that person get the education that they need and make to make an informed decision without any of my negative stuff overflowing into their life um and actually that takes practice it's hard hard. it does it takes practice it takes practice to almost do the facial blank Mm -hmm. screen sometimes when you're listening very big poker face (laughs) very big you know and and it's not i think the hardest part is and and this is what people tell me I have a gift for this um, is to be sympathetic to your situation but not having any opinion about your situation and talking about I couldn't do it I'm very opinionated um, and I have been you know I mean it's (laughs) it's it's very hard but it's kind of a a daily you know kind of exercise and when growing up you're asking me about the kids growing up my very, you know, and if they listen to this, they'll, they're going to laugh at me because I wanted to make T-shirts that said, you are only responsible for yourself. You have no opinion. You have no opinion. So if we're fussing about something, about somebody else's stuff, because it's easy to do that. Right. Hey, this person, did you know that this person so-and-so, and can you believe that they are? Why do you have an opinion on that? 
you ha you should have no you you should be responsible for yourself and as we go th through our adult lives it's really the same way and we're saving ourselves from a lot of psychological harm for ourselves when we are so neg you know when we're not so negative about what's going on around us i mean we can have strong opinions but not that negatively overflow into somebody that has taken their time to either download to you because we have to remember too if somebody is coming to us with something that's not easy to do either right it's not especially e if they're vulnerable like definitely that. definitely well that's kind of tough because opinions are also how you formulate sometimes your basis of you see this happening over there you don't want it to happen to you so you pull that back in so Maybe there's some constructive ways to yes. direct. Yes. Well, and the majority of people who, you know, go back into the childbirth world, the, well, I would think the majority of, of, of how we want to do something is because, hey, we experienced this. Same with me in childbirth. I experienced something that I didn't want other people to experience. Do I have a bad feeling for the system? No. Like... I mean, it, it took me a while to process out the bad feelings that I had right. thinking that the system failed me. Um, but moving forward and maturing into my profession, it, you know, they're just doing what they were taught to do too. So not excusing their behavior, but let's all work together in, in, in providing a way to move forward. And if we are fighting or spilling, this is what needs to happen because, you know, my experience was, was harmful. That's not going to help. Now, now trauma is real. Trauma is real. So when a birth worker comes to me and says, I want to save you know all of these people I want to become a doula because I want to save all of these people from the experience that I have my very first thing is no you need to process that out with somebody that's trusted or you need to see an actual therapist because we cannot be a hundred percent whole to support somebody until that part is is gone for us because that's gonna eventually overflow right so that's dealing with bias oh definitely so, Wow um, all right Go back to your childhood and, and how you were raised. Are you pretty much, um, did you change a whole lot about how you raised your own children based on, on how you were raised? Are you from the South? Oh, Amy, you know, it's so funny. We don't want to turn into our parents. We always turn yeah, into our that. parents. <laughs> um, I, and this is a whole, you know, probably a whole nother podcast, Amy. I was um, adopted. At, um, in Colorado, I was um, relinquished, or all the new uh, terminology, uh, terminology that we're supposed to use, um, we're not supposed to use give up anymore. Uh, so I was relinquished, or my birth mom made an adoption plan. I was the last of six um, and uh, moved from Colorado. My adoptive family, which of course I call mom and dad, um, was in he worked for civil service, of, um, um, so we kind of moved like military because he was civil service. Um, and my birth mom, actually, um, this is not the reason why I was uh, relinquished or she had made an adoption plan. She made it before, but she was, um, I was born in 73, um, eight months after Roe versus Wade was um, legalized. So I'm very thankful for her decision. Um, she could have very easily taken up on that new law, which she did not want to. So um, I, I have been very strong um, in the pro-life movement, and, and I'm getting away from using the words pro-life. I am pro-baby, pro-mom, um, and I counsel on the Life on Wheels RV. Um, that's another story. But anyway, so, um, so growing up, my – so going back, my birth mom was actually murdered in – um, 76. So I was born in 73, relinquished, and my birth mom was killed in 76. So, um, and it's actually written in a book. It's is an unsolved mystery. And so I didn't know that until I was about 21 when my records were open and I had two biological sisters find me. Um, so that's when I found out that. But growing up with my mom and dad was pretty, um, I call very uneventful and normal. Now, my mom and dad, or my mom, is 
um, was and is a very private person. So if something happened, and I think it's that generational thing, yeah. she's 84 now, and she lived here, she grew up here. Um, so very private, but you know, they, um, I, I would say, um, you know, were, were there things that I said, I will never do that with my kids? Probably, but I, I think, um, you know, living with someone or being raised by someone, um, I'm very much like my mom. It um, becomes part of your fabric. It, it does. Um, you know, it, it just happens that way. Um, but like I said, just very, you know, just very run of the, you know, run of the mill normal. Um, but I'm very passionate driven like everything that I do I really want to put 110 percent in and that's what I wanted you know kind of for the kids too now the only difference that I would say is you know homeschooling was a thing of course homeschooling wasn't a thing would my mom have done it no of course not I don't think she would have it at all um it kind of wasn't the time period to do that no not anyway no I'm and I'm thankful that you know back when when I started, it, it was not a, a big thing then either. You right. know, kind of, kind of felt very lonely then too. But you kind of could do your own thing and quietly accomplish Definitely. it and, and move and, on. And move on. <laughs> yeah, it, it really didn't have to identify you. I think my kids more often than not, people would say, "Really, you homeschool? You don't look like a homeschooler." Right. <laughs> right. And my ours, so. you know, ours too. And, and I'm thankful, like, you know, I, I have said, you know, even here recently, I'm really glad that I'm done, you know, yeah. uh, um, I'm not sure I, could go again. I don't think, I, <laughs> I don't think I could either. I, it, it, I was going for, um, when I, when Becca graduated 20 years. So yeah, I'm about, I'm about done. Yeah. Uh, I'm, but the run was great. Um, I was more of a um, being adopted and looking back on my life growing up I, and it being as normal as I thought it was supposed to be. There were things that I dealt with. I know now being an adoptee, like, um, you know, abandonment issues or attachment issues or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, does that come from being uh, adopted always? I don't think so. Um, but looking and researching more into it, I think there is a chemical um, process that happens when we are given to our biological moms at birth um, because skin to skin um, and being, um, you know, snuggled by the biological mom for a good extended period of time, I think does something to, to baby's brains. But in not having that, I think that um, I always had this, I was, I was very attached to my mom um, growing up, but I had this sense of like always missing something or missing someone. And I can't explain that. Um, when I talk to other adoptees, they they kind of they kind of validate that, or not kind of, but they validate that. Yes, I, I understand that. Or or not having the full picture of story, and it's just because you know that something else was going on when you were born. Um, but in raising you know the kids, um, and not probably not realizing it, maybe being the more type A dominant personality for structure. Um, made up for that for you know for me thinking well I never want them to feel yeah. you know alone or I never want them to feel this way so I kind of overcompensated probably a little bit more than I should on that one you're probably forgiven on that one <laughs> um I was talking to someone earlier in a podcast who was adopted and she was telling me that she had some bullying coming along and I was stunned because today we talk about everything and and then we didn't, and she's probably in her 40s, maybe, I guess. So did you experience that? Um, my, like, going back to my mom being very private, we were not, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. So when, you know, I was hanging out with friends or whatever, it wasn't the first thing that came up. Um, so I didn't experience bullying so much as, um, when I got into my teenage years, um, not so much bullying, but a lot of questions, you know, well, hey, do you know your birth mom? Or you? So, but, I, but I think in the night, you know, I graduated high school in 91. Um, 
more people were searching, I think, then. But when I was younger, we weren't really allowed. I wouldn't say we weren't allowed to talk about it, but we just didn't talk about it. It wasn't something. So when, if my mom heard me say it, like, to my friends or whatever, I didn't get in trouble, but it was more just downplayed. Like, we're just not going to talk about it a whole lot. Um, but I could I could see that I could see that because you know society and the family structure, you know, and what the norm was um, is not what it is today. Yeah. And you just didn't talk about that stuff. And I don't know if she lived in the South, but culturally, you know, when when relinquishment happened in the South, or you know, really back in those days, um, it just wasn't talked about because it was a shameful thing. Yeah. Um, so if there was an adoption, apparently there was a, a crisis pregnancy, right. you know. Right. Um, and wow, that probably went back to, you know, somebody getting pre- pregnant and not being married or, you know, whatever, all the assumptions. Right. So I, I can see. So that not much has changed in the sense that we are, we still have assumptions and we still have Definitely. opinions that probably need to be a little more checked than they are well and talking about bias when when we're sitting around with a group of people and they're like oh well, we're getting ready to adopt or we have adopted you know I would love to hear somebody say well what does that mean to you when you hear somebody say that they're adopted what does that mean to you and it means different things to to different people yeah um, you know they might have had a really bad experience with adoption I mean in in the adoptee circles that I'm in um, I hear all kinds of stories. You know, my ad- I'm very thankful my adoption was um, loving and my parents were, were supportive. And, you know, if, if I didn't know my adoption story, I wouldn't have known. And my mom was not the one to tell. Like, I don't know if she would have told me yeah. if I had not been found by those sisters. Do you still have a relationship with them? No, I don't. We had contact um, only for a little while. I'm not somebody that... Um, it's very different <laughs> um, when yeah. adoptees find their families. It depends on why they're being found and what they want to be found for. I think that um, m- the only reason why I wanted information was for the medical part of that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if this has to do with my chemical makeup, but I'm not somebody that's just going to automatically invite you into my circle um, because you're biologically connected to me. Um, but we... we you know had a little bit of contact back and forth I only had contact one time with one of them and you know it's not you know it's not something that we all yeah if you don't need it don't right go there right so well um wow we've gone all over the place that time but it's great and I you've accomplished so much just professionally and personally and so the challenge is, though, for somebody, it's a little scary to reach out and call you. You don't really know. What, what would the difference between a midwife and a doula be? Good question. Um, a midwife is going to do everything medical with you. They're going to do the blood work. They're going to make sure that your body systems are working correctly during your pregnancy and that your baby is growing and your baby is doing healthy things, too. Mine is all education and support. Um, I am not going to, like if somebody contacts me and say, hey, I think that this is what's going on with me, um, I'm going to say, if you're worried enough to contact me, contact your care provider. <laughs> um, you know, so that, that's the, that's the, the, the difference. Um, and, and I do have a lot of que- you know, people that ask me, and they don't even realize we have midwives here. You know, we have um, four fantastic certified nurse midwives that work in with OBGYN associates. Um, they, you know, anybody that they can't see that's high risk, they they get the, the doctor's input on. Um, and it works out really, really well. But we also, as a state, just passed certified professional midwives to attend home births. Um, a couple of years ago. So the Alabama Midwifery Board um, has, you know, issued license and now we have nine licensed certified um, professional midwives to do home births. So which Alabama, wow, it it took a long time for that to happen. So those are the things that people don't realize that, that are happening. So I am the extra person for that 
seven days a week, 24 hour in between support and education, um, you know, if that's what you need, because, you know, you're going to go to an appointment maybe once a month and then it's going to get a little bit more than that. But, you know, working along next to a provider and, and they might not even know the things that I know, it's fun to work along um, uh, the midwives because I'll say, hey, did y'all know, you know, the evidence on so and so? And they're like, no, get us that. We need to, to learn more about it. So, you know, it's just a really good, well-rounded team, you know, as far as more support and and then, you know, them building their um, their medical relationship with their provider. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. So the research that's done, that's coming out of doctoral programs and, and mm-hmm. um, just upper education. So are you ever involved in any of the research and maybe tapping into being one that collects data? No, I have no time. <laughs> I would love to. Now, you know, lo- on the local level, you know, I am listening and learning more about, you know, Alabama Department of Public Health and infant mortality and all that kind of thing. But really my goal, and, and really when I, you know, when I'm mentoring other people or, or, or getting other people to think about what their circle of influence is, we don't need to do, not all of us need to do it all. So what can I do in my expertise, in my circle of influence to help um, things on a statewide level? Um, And that's just what I can do when I can do it. Um, I'm going to leave the, you know, collecting the stats and all of that to the people that are good at that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that's Alabama Department of Public Health working, you know, working with people on the national level too, um, which is not an easy program. Like that is not an easy thing Mm -hmm. at all. But when, you know, when we can get the good information, then we all get together and figure out together how we can, you know, Gift of Life is out there, Um, you know, other resource programs for pregnant women are out there, you know, so how can we do better at the information that we have? Um, I have um, a team that's getting ready to um, launch a podcast, hopefully pretty soon, um, that's uh, hopefully going to be called The the Childbearing Year, and all we're going to talk about is um, evidence and, and the childbirth Topics. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I was already thinking you definitely need to be doing that because yep. it's a resource of mm-hmm. information. Yeah. And a good platform to, to put it on. Yes. Um, wow. Is there anything that we have missed that we need to make sure we touch on? Oh, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know, Amy. Well, I see that uh, you're a tremendous resource and um, probably a hidden resource that um, to some, I mean, to some they, they know, but it almost strikes me as, you know, the mom who knows everything, that's the person you would be to some people of, you know, hey, I'm thinking this, what do you think? And so almost coach, cheerleader, mom, is that yeah? Describe well, a little bit there. I have um, been called a a life doula sometimes because yeah, there there are several. Um, you know, there are a lot of of people that cross my path, and you're like, no, this is not just about childbirth to you. This is yeah. just about serving people yeah. to you. So yes, yeah, so I can be. Um, you know, just with the life experiences that I that I've had and being married for 27 years and, and, you know, raising the kids and doing all of that, hopefully I'll have some kind of positive feedback for, you know, for somebody in, in whatever they're doing with. Do I know it all? Absolutely not. I think that I um, talk about my um, my failures <laughs> and what not to Sometimes do. Yeah, more than, you know, more than than what to do. Um, you know, but as far as professionally finding me, um, you know, is not as hard as it used to be. If you just Google Tracy Weaver, you kind of just come up with all of my stuff. Um, do you have a website? I do. What what would be your contact information? This is a good place. Yeah. My website is, um, maternalinstinctsdoula.net um, and if you you know the very very first page is just it, it just has two buttons professionals or parents but you can also go to the menu and go to anything that you want to know about um, and then my Facebook page is if you just search Tracy Weaver um, 
Tracy Weaver Maternal Instincts Doula is my business page. And then I am on Instagram at, at Tracy Doula. So, you know, those are the only places I don't Twitter. Um, those are the only places that I that I am. And, and each place has a different flair about what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, the majority of what I want locally um, is to educate families on um, the evidence of birth topics to make really good informed decisions, you know, and doing that, you know, healthy, even with exercises that will balance their bodies to hopefully make, you know, birth a, a better experience. But then nationally, I'm, you know, I'm hoping to just spread the word that, number one, families need better education. So hopefully in my circle of influence, I'm influencing those people around them to educate their families, but to train doulas to just be better in their work and solid in their advocacy for their families. Very good. That's a lot, and I appreciate it very much. I have one question that I have found to be fun to ask people. Um, you have one superpower for 24 hours. That's all you've got. What would it be? Oh, Amy, that's hard. Um, yeah, that is really difficult. That is really hard. If I had one superpower for 24 hours, you know, because I don't even know if I'd want to let that go for 24 hours. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I think that and I don't know if this is a superpower. This is more of a wish. Um, I kind of wish that um, that we all could, like any kind of situation or any kind of concept or any kind of um, hard thing that we are going forward um, trying to do, um, we would know that we had really all power to do it no matter what it was and so that's not really one superpower I just you know whatever it was that I was getting ready to do um, I didn't have any doubt that I could do it I think that's pretty good that's pretty good I know we need to close but this is the one thing that always happens to me as we're closing I go oh but I want to know uh, you mentioned some of the legislative processes that have gone on in in our state and probably across the country are you directly involved in any of the advocacy yes um so when we were trying to uh pass the certified professional midwife bill um i was i was involved in that because i was in montgomery the majority of that effort the alabama birth coalition who still has all kind of things that they're doing right now um, that was one of their main focuses was to um, push legislation so uh, consumers had the option to have a home birth with somebody that was licensed. And it took us 14 years to do that. Wow. So going back and forth to the state capitol and lobbying for that bill and, and talking to um, legislators through the process, um, yes, I was involved and I was involved enough to know that I don't want to be in politics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is a very slow process for for that was because, you know, being in a state that's highly medicalized, um, you know, in educating even legislators on what home birth even even consumed was a lengthy process. Um, but it was good and it was passed. And, you know, like I said, legislation is needed. Um, but, you know, yes, I went to the Capitol and I did a lot of lobbying, but as you know as constituents in our in our sections and if you feel like that there's something that needs to happen go and talk to somebody and you know you know writing the bills and, and all of that is not an easy process but just ask a lot of questions you are not just one person like if you think that there is something um, that needs to happen go and talk to somebody go and talk to your representative or your senator and say hey this this is what I feel like needs to happen or can you point me in a direction that somebody else can help me you know you know draft something so it's 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 a long process it's hard but it's not impossible what would you t tell a young lady um, if you look back at at your life and what would be the encouraging words or philosophy or push or kick that you would give a young lady 
Well, it depends on what she'd want to do. I would sit there probably and, and ask, um, you know, what her goals were, what her beliefs were, you know, where she saw herself in, you know, five or 10 years. I think that that's a, a popular question. Um, and just, you know, encourage her and let her know that, that she is special and not to ignore the talents that God has given her. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses and to focus on the strengths and understand that we have weaknesses and be teachable for those. Um, but definitely not to give up. And if, you know, if there are obstacles or if there's roadblocks to pay attention to those as far as is this the time of life you need to be doing this? Um, or, you know, is this something that is just a learning part of the process, which is going to be, you know, just because something gets hard does not mean it doesn't need to happen. Excellent. Tracy, thank you. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Oh, well, I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks so much. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, cry a little, and find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it. From family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life. Two, three.